Well, hello, welcome again to Life Church. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Yeah, put your hands together because we're just excited. I'm not Pastor Aaron. I am um, a much, you know, lesser version of him, Dustin. I uh, get to go around in multiple campuses, spend time with us regularly, and sometimes I get the privilege to preach. And so it's an honor anytime that I do. It's uh, I'm so glad to be here today as we are continuing our series through the Book of Psalms. We're Song of the Summer. We're looking at different Psalms throughout the Book of Psalms, and uh, today we're going to be focused on Psalm 103. So you will need your Bible today. You need your Bible every Sunday, but particularly today because I'm going to be referencing a few verses that we're not going to necessarily read all the way through. So I'll try to point them out to you. So grab your Bibles or just keep staring at me. Either one is fine. As you turn to Psalm 103, I would love to share with you a popular legend of unknown origin. It's called the Tale of Two Wolves. And in this story, a grandfather tells his grandson that a fight is going on inside of me. It is a terrible fight between two different wolves. One is evil. It is anger and envy and jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. And the grandson thought about it for a few moments before turning back to his grandfather and asked, which wolf wins? The grandfather replied, the one you feed. Maybe you've heard this story before, but it serves as a simple reminder that we all have the capacity within ourselves for good, but also for evil, for bad. We have the, we have the um, propensity inside of us to do bad things, to give into that sinful nature, or to do good things, to respond in good ways. We all have that within ourselves, and it's what we focus on in the world around us and in our own minds that shape the kinds of people that we hope to become. So what do you do when life surprises you? When uh, curveball after curveball after curveball, or what do you do when someone mistreats you or you find yourself frustrated in life? Which wolf Do you feed? When circumstances don't go your way and your life seems to spiral out of control, how do we, as Christians, as believers, keep ourselves from being overwhelmed and feeding the wrong wolf? In other words, how do we refuse to allow the negative situations we experience in our life to lead us to have a negative mindset, negative emotions, negative reactions? The answer comes from our psalm today. It's a psalm of David's in Psalm chapter 103, 103, Psalms 103, verse 1. We'll look throughout the whole chapter. Verse 1, we'll start there. It's a good place to start. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. You know what? Let's read it again and let's all read it together. Ready? Let's do it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all 
That's good. Listen, we aren't given any context for this psalm. For a lot of psalm, we're not necessarily given a lot of context. They're songs, poems. But you can imagine maybe what David must have been going through that made it necessary for David to give himself a pep talk, right? David's kind of talking to himself in this moment. Do any of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but do any of you talk to yourself? Typically, typically this is negative, right? Negative self-talk. You're kind of beating yourself up. You're your own worst critic. But have you ever tried to um, like be your own cheerleader? Have you ever, are you able to do the positive side of things too? Like, hey, you can do this. You're smart. Come on, you've got this. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I'm proud of you too. Have you ever gone back and forth with yourself like that and just talked yourself up, encouraged yourself? That's a good kind of self-talk. Some people might think it's weird or odd, but this is kind of what David is doing in this moment. Psalm 103 begins with an invitation from David to David to worship God. And this psalm for us is a reminder to focus on God and the good that he is doing in the world around us and in our own lives and to bless his holy name regardless of how we might feel in any given moment. To bless his holy name. This psalm is a personal invitation for all of us to become our own worship leaders. And so today, to demonstrate that, I brought props, and uh, I don't typically do this, but I thought it was necessary for today, and I'm actually going to need a little bit of help this morning from three of you in the audience. Don't be shy. Uh, I need, I need some, uh, some, some custom worship leaders today, so uh, you don't have to be proficient at the egg shaker, but I need someone to shake this egg for me. So if you could just raise your hand right now. Come on, there's got to be someone willing. Raise your husband or wife's hand. Uh, sure, all the way in the back. Run up here really fast. Come on. Yeah, you. Um, I'm going to need another person that's proficient with a tambourine. Come on. I need another tambourine. But who's a tambourine? I'm going to start calling out people. Don't make me do that. Uh, yeah, come on. Let's get a tambourine player. Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. Um, you can stay down here and then go back to your seat. I'm just going to give it to you. Take it back to your seat. And then you can take this egg shaker back to your seat. Be careful going down the stairs. And then I need a drummer. I've got drumsticks and I've got a, I've got a drum right here. Yeah, come on, man, right there. Come and get your drum. Now, is what I'm going to ask you to do let me close this lid. There you go. Here's your drug. Sure. Take it right up and jump off. Don't break anything. We're not responsible. All right. <laughs> now that instruments are out, I want you on the count of three to give me your best five seconds of whatever instrument you've got. All right. So we've got the egg shaker. This is, by the way, not the best mix of instruments, but it's the best I could find um, at, uh, at Target. So uh, that is, we've got our egg shaker, we've got our tambourine, and we've got our drum. Okay. I want the best you can give me on the count of three. One, two, three. It's good. Yeah, you've been in band before. All right. Um, Great, I just need a little bit more egg shaker. Couldn't hear it all the way in the back. Give it to me one more time, just egg shaker. Oh, that's, now that's better. All right, good, 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 good. All right, so I know this is silly, right? Uh, but I might call on you three to do that again throughout the message, so just be prepared. I'll say something like band, and when I do that, you can give me a few more seconds before I close you off, all right? Uh, every Sunday... We have the best worship leaders leading us into worship from this platform, from all of our other campuses, from those platforms as well. Yeah, absolutely. We've got, 
We've got the lights set. We've got projection on the screen. We're able to help create an atmosphere where worship and praise is, is easy. It's easy for us to sing along and to bless the Lord on Sundays. And they're calling us to do that, even if we don't feel like it. You understand when you come in, you've got no one like, you got people greeting you, but you don't have anyone that's like, hey, are you, how are you doing today? Are you doing all right? Oh, you're not well? Come back next Sunday. You know, like we, we bring you in here anyways and we worship and our worship leaders call you to worship and, and pull that out of you. And it's easy to do that on Sundays. But what about on Mondays? When you don't have the, the fog machine, when you don't have the lights, when you don't have someone up here with a beautiful crystal clear voice, when you don't have a drum uh, a set or, or, or a guitar or, or the keys, what happens when you don't have a worship leader calling you to worship, do you just wait for the following Sunday to worship again? Of course not. It's in these moments where you and I must do what David did and lead ourselves in to worship. Band, you weren't ready. <laughs> Be ready next time. All right, and, and, and don't do it if I don't call it. I've got a sermon to preach, all right? Um, you might be saying right now, oh, look, I, I don't, I can't sing. We know, all right? You might say, I, 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 I can't play instruments. I'm not, I, I don't know how to play any instruments. Um, I, I, you, you, we have all these excuses of why we can't lead ourselves into worship. Um, again, I, I can't sing. I don't play instruments. Neither do these three, but they're figuring it out in these moments, right? It's worship. That is a key part of worship, music, instruments, clapping, singing, lifting your hands. All of those things are good, but that is, not the, that is not all there is to worship. Worship is not just an external thing. It's an internal thing, and it begins at a heart level. It begins here. Worship is so much more than singing and clapping. It starts in the soul, and we see that in Psalm 103. And then David, through his song, lays out this formula of what he did and does to lead himself into worship. And we should take note. In fact, we're going to do that today. I'd encourage you to take note as we go through this psalm. The first thing that I'm going to point out and show you from David's psalm that we've got to do if we want to lead ourselves into worship is to shift your focus. We've got, to, we've got to shift our focus. So look at Psalm 103 and notice how instead of focusing on the problems or the frustrations or even his own sins, David shifts his focus in an attempt to rouse himself from distraction and disappointment to praising God. And this one-man worship band, David, starts to sing. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He says, all that is within me. David understands that shifting the focus from the problems that he's facing to his God is a full contact sport. It is going to take all that is within me, my soul, my mind, my body. And I think sometimes we erroneously believe that we must turn our minds off when it comes to worship. We've always got this like hybrid version of worship that we try to create or we come in and our bodies aren't here. Like we're here, but we're kind of just like, you know, just standing doesn't involve any part of our being. Or, or maybe we just check our minds off at the door or they're focused on something else and we're going through, you know, what we've got to do the rest of the day before Monday starts again. 
Sometimes we have things in our hearts that we don't want God to mess with, so we kind of leave that out of the picture while we bring other parts of us. Whatever the reason, the psalmist reminds us that this kind of true soul-forming worship doesn't work unless we bring our whole selves, all that is within me. And then David says in verse two, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Forget not all of God's benefits. Spiritual amnesia is a very real problem. We so easily and so often forget that God has done some incredible things for us in the past. So in the moment, we don't realize how much reason we have to actually worship and trust him. We allow some frustrations or some difficulties to cloud our memory so we don't remember how good God has been, how faithful God has been. Do you understand if you're here today, God's been more faithful than not. (laughs) Like we made it this far and it hasn't been due to our own ingenuity or our own ability or our own strength. It's been God and God alone. And so we have reason to trust him. Thankfully, David shows us the cure for spiritual amnesia is to remember. And I get it, that's tough. It sounds silly that in order to not forget, you must remember. That, duh, right? Well, the rest of Psalm 103 is super helpful because it reminds us how God graciously deals with his people. David's saying, hey, sometimes you struggle to remember what God has done in the heat of the moment. Hey, me too. But let me help you with that. Let me help you shift your focus from worrying about your problems to worshiping your God. Let me help you with that. Here's a list of things to help you you remember why God is good. Okay, so this is the second thing. So you shift your focus. And then secondly, what David shows us is to remember God's plan. And he doesn't specifically say remember God's plan, but this is, this is what the next set of verses reveals to us. If you ever want to successfully lead yourself into worship, you must first remember that God has a plan. And listen, it involves you. You're a part of the plan. Not just you generally, you specifically are a part of God's plan. And this is incredibly good news. You can look through verses three through five. Just look there. And you can see a list of positive dealings that God has with us. But listen, it's more than just a list. It's a sequence. It tells the story of God's plan of redemption. Look, these are the steps that God takes in rescuing us from sin. Okay, so look at the first part of verse 3. It says that God forgives all your iniquity. Iniquity is a big church word. It simply means sin, right? And that's that's where our story starts. Okay, we were, we were in sin at one point in our life, we, but then God came and we responded to the relentless pursuit of God through his Holy Spirit on our heart. And in that moment, when we said yes to the pursuit of God, you and I were saved, saved from our sins, saved from our iniquities. Do you remember that moment? You remember? Some of you can remember that. Some of you, it was maybe really young and it was over the course of days and weeks and months, but some of you remember that moment where you were deep in sin and God pulled you out. What's sad is that many people think that's all that God does. 
(laughs) That he saves us from sin so that we can make it to heaven and boom, we're done. That's all we gotta do, right? But that's just the beginning of David's song here. God's offer is not just a one-way ticket to heaven. It's so much more than that. Look at the second part of verse three. It says that God heals all of your diseases. Now listen, while it's true that God can and does heal our physical bodies, we believe that and we pray for that, the psalmist here was likely referring to a spiritual healing that God does in the life of the Christ follower. Meaning that God doesn't just save us from the results of sin, he also heals us from the effects of sin. Do you see the difference there? And it's amazing. Sin is like a a, a disease. And if you allow it to, it will weaken and corrupt your mind and your soul and your heart. But by the grace and mercy of God, he erases the debilitating disease that sin brings. And God replaces that with complete and utter healing. But that's not all. Look at verse 4. It says that God redeems your life. He redeems it. The Hebrew word for redeem here is ga'al, and it conveys the idea of rescue and protection, meaning that God doesn't just save you, God doesn't just heal you from the effects of sin, but then God steps in like a warrior with a shield to protect you from the effects and the the fiery darts, Scripture says, of the enemy. Like he comes in and protects you. It's an active thing. It's not God saved you passively and now he's up in the cosmos. God comes and protects you, puts his arms around you. Your life that was previously enslaved to sin has now been redeemed. It has been rescued and it's been exchanged for a purpose on purpose. That's still not all. You ready? Let's do one more. The second part of verse four, it says that God crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. So now that we've been forgiven, now that we've been healed from the effects of sin and redeemed for new life, God in his infinite love and mercy brings us into his kingdom and places crowns on our heads. For, for you ladies, tiaras on your heads, okay? We are, we are welcomed into the kingdom. So now, as sons and daughters of the king, we have an infinite amount of compassion and understanding and sympathy and patience and forgiveness forever directed from God towards us. Is that not amazing? Yeah, come on. band, help me. Drummer, pull out those drumsticks. All right, listen, that's amazing. God has done all of this for us. And all we had to do to receive any of that was say, yes. That's our part in salvation. You know you don't save yourself and you didn't save yourself. You said, okay, to all that God had already done for you. And then God steps in, in such an incredible way. You and I must remember God's plan. Whenever we're frustrated, whenever life throws a curveball at us, we must trust him. But there's one more, verse five. It's so good. God is so good. Because David says that God satisfies you with good. This is kind of what Paul means in the New Testament. In Romans eight twenty eight. he says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. You and I will be satisfied with good. 
You will not regret living a life fully submitted to God. There are endless benefits on this side of eternity and on the other. But but even now, we are satisfied with good. When you need help finding a reason to worship, it starts here. Remember the plan that God has for your life and the benefits that come along with it. Next, okay, David calls us to rely on God's character. You can write that down. That's the next kind of major thing that David calls us to do. If we want to lead ourselves into worship, if we want to feed the good and not the evil, this is what we must do. We must rely on God's character. Your character? Questionable. All right? My character? sometimes good, sometimes not. Like, listen, we even make up excuses or sayings for, for, to, to excuse our bad behavior and our character from time to time. I'm sorry, I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. As if you don't get off that side of the bed every single morning of your life. I've heard a comedian even just recently, but I thought of it before, that, hey, we, we love Enneagram. We love uh, these, you know, these, these studies of I'm an INTJ, I'm, an, uh, you know, I'm a four-wing five, or whatever these things are. And we use those excuses uh, as excuses for bad behavior. I'm sorry I'm late. I'm just, a, I'm just a four. No, you're just a bad person, all right? Like, get it together. Okay, so I'm, our character is questionable at times. God char- God's character, consistent. And in verses 6 through 18, again, we won't read all of them now, but you've got your Bible open so you can look down at them. The psalmist begins to describe the ways that God has shown up for his people in the past, reminding us that God has done it before so he can surely do it again. God is the same, what? Yesterday, today, and forever. So we can trust that if God's done it before, he can do it again. Verse 6 It shows us that God is righteous and just. Sounds like churchy words, I know, but it simply means that God loves what is right and he is a defender of what is true and he's a defender of the oppressed. He comes along and defends those who can't defend themselves. And if you're ever in a situation where you find yourself defenseless, it's in those moments that you can trust all the more that God is near. Scripture says that he is near the brokenhearted. He is righteous and just. Verse seven, it shows us that God is personal. It's easy to skip over this verse, but it reveals an important aspect of God's character. It actually says this. It says, God made known his ways to Moses. God made his acts known to the people of Israel. It shows us that God is more than just some distant God that you know, set this earth on motion and walked away but that he is very near, that he's very close, and that he wants a personal relationship with you. How amazing is that? The infinite creator of the universe who spoke all of this into existence also wants a personal relationship with you. That should inspire worship within us. Verses 8 through 12, it it reveals that God is forgiving And it reminds us that God is merciful and gracious, that he is slow to anger and abounding in love, that he shows compassion to his children. And this is actually where that verse comes from, where he casts our sins, camera follow me, as far as the east, I don't know if this is the east, to the west. And this stage is not near large enough to demonstrate how far your sins are from you once God forgives them. They have no authority or dominion over you. God's mercy, grace, and love do. 
God is forgiving, and God's forgiveness has the final word over our lives. And then in verses 13 through 18, we see that God is compassionate. Not only does he forgive our sins, but he is like a loving father who is devoted to us. He wants to lovingly guide us. He says, walk alongside of me. Let me show you how to do this life. He sent his son Jesus as the perfect demonstration for us of how to be, how to live, how to think, how to serve. Verse 14 says that God knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. That doesn't feel good necessarily, does it, right? To be called dust. I mean, just think about me though. That's my name, right? That's, that's two thirds of my name. We're all dust. He's reminding us that that's all we are, but hey, but that's okay because we're also made in his image. He knows our frame. He created us that way. God formed us out of dust. God knows we're finite. God knows we're limited. God knows that at times we're incapable. God knows that our strength is like, there's a ceiling on what we're able to accomplish in our own ability and in our own power. But he knows that. So God is patient with his people and his compassion never ends. You following me this morning? So how do we stir up this ability within ourselves to worship God even when we don't feel like it? Well, we rely on God's character. He has shown us who he is. He has, he has demonstrated this not only through scripture, but in our own lives. Like all of these things the psalmist lists are things you and I have seen God demonstrate in our own lives. And if you haven't before, I would encourage you to make your own list. David made his, make your own list. Think about the ways that God has shown up to you before and actually write that down. Maybe you need a memo on your phone so that you can pull up when you're feeling down. Maybe you need to write it on a sticky note and put it on your mirror so when you're getting ready in the morning, you can start off your day being reminded how good and faithful God is. Don't be, don't be general. Be specific about what God has done in your life. Maybe go through the Bible and highlight all the character qualities of God. You can highlight that he's sovereign. He's over all things. You can highlight that he knows my name. You can highlight, you, you, can, you can write down, um, he, he's never caught off guard. I'm caught off guard, but God's never caught off guard. You can write down that he uses everything for his glory and for my good. And these things should and could and can and will inspire worship within you. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. When you struggle to worship God, you've got to grab a hold of your soul and redirect it from the negativity around you to the God within you and shift your focus and remember God's plan and rely on God's character. And finally, rest in God's reign. We've got to rest in God's reign. The end of David's psalm is a stark reminder of God's positioning, not only over our lives, but over all things, visible and invisible, on earth and above it. God is in control. Look at verse 19. It says this, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom, it rules over all. So the psalmist once again is calling himself to worship the Lord. But this time he does it within the context of his role in all of creation. David 
sees the world for what it is. In verse 22, he says it's the place of God's dominion. And in the end, David realizes who he really is. He's not alone. He's not forsaken. He's not forgotten or excluded. But he is a member in the great chorus of creation that's full of angels and armies and all the works of his hand. God sits enthroned above it all. Amen? Band, one last time. Give it to me. Drummer. There you go. All right. Make sure to bring those up and put them on the stage after. You can't have them, all right? Those are expensive. Seriously. I, was, I, went to the dollar, uh, this is, uh, I went to the dollar store first thinking I could just get a xylophone there. But no, nothing there. I had to go to Target and like $30 for a kid's toy. Man. Inflation. All right. God's over it all. Meaning there is nothing that can overtake you that he hasn't already overtaken. There's nothing that can defeat you that he hasn't already by the life, death, and resurrection of his son defeated. I know there are things that we face that feel powerful, insurmountable, and for us they are. But for God, they are tiny specks. And he has the final word on the matter. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we can rest in that reality. At the end of the day, it's not our own ability, our own power, our own wits that get us through. It is God and God alone. So we don't have to fear we don't have to doubt. We don't have to worry. Listen, if I was in control, if I was in control, I would be worried. If, if I was driving, if I was in the driver's seat, I, I would have reason, cause for concern. If I was in the passenger seat and you were driving, I would have cause for concern. But we're not driving this thing. God is. God is in control. We're just along for the ride. And that doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. Like, difficulties will come. You'll face hardships in life. You'll face things that will almost break you. Some of you might be going through something right now. And it seems like you're just depleted. You're barely crawling by. And there's going to be times where you don't feel like worshiping. Where that's the last thing that you want to do. I mean, you might even be frustrated with God. Maybe the money's not adding up or... You're in the middle of a divorce. Anxiety might be just spiraling out of control or you got a prognosis from the doctor that's just not good. There will be times in your life when you do not have the answers that you need. Even then, especially then, you as a child of God can find rest. That God is in control. That God is overall. Do you remember that verse? It's in Matthew chapter 11. I think Jesus, Jesus says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. And Life Church, that's where we find rest this morning when we come to Jesus.
when we, when we bring our, our needs, our concerns, our cares to Jesus. Could, could we get a keyboardist to come out, not one of you three, just uh, someone from the worship team to come and, and play as we, as we wrap this thing up? Listen, you and I, we have the capacity for both good and, and, and bad inside of us, good and evil. We've got, we've got these two wolves that are warring and, and they will continue to war the rest of your life. You can feed that good wolf and it can be plump and fat, but there will still be times in your life that test you. And when that bad wolf creeps up in your soul, listen to me, do not feed it. Instead, call yourself to worship. Call yourself to worship. In those moments, you might not have an egg shaker, but you got a spiritual one. You might not have a tambourine, might not have a worship team leading you actively into worship. You might not be able to find that perfect playlist on Pandora. While all those things help, you and I, we're worship leaders. We are our own worship leaders and you are responsible at all times for calling your soul to worship your creator, your father, your king, and your friends. So the next time you're feeling down, Next time you're feeling defeated, remember the Psalm of David's. Stir up your soul to worship God. It might not change the circumstance that you're facing. God's not some cosmic genie that you can just make do what you wanna do. And although it might not change your circumstance, it will change you. So God, we, we come to you this morning and we declare first and foremost that you are worthy of our worship. And so we turn our hearts actively to you. And it's one thing, God, that we would do it on a Sunday, like we make it easy in here when the setting is just right, the lights are just right, the music is just right. But it's another thing for us to be able to do that at five o'clock on a Friday. It's another thing to try to do that when we're broken inside or when life seems to be hitting us in the face. God, I pray that in those moments especially, we would have what we we have within us to be able to, to worship, that we would, we would stir up our soul and that you would help us to become all of our own worship leaders. Stir up our souls to praise your holy name. And so God, today in this moment, we commit to becoming worship leaders. So next time we're tempted or next time we're, we're in doubt or we wanna give in to a sin, God, help us to choose worship instead. And if there's anyone here today, God, that came into this room without a relationship with you, I pray that in these moments, they would take that first step and shift their focus from the problems around them, the world around them, to the God above them, the God inside of them, and that you would save your children in this moment. God, we worship you at all times because you are good, you are faithful, and you are worthy of our worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.